Welcome to the Future Christian Podcast, your source for insights and ideas on how to lead your church into the 21st century. At the Future Christian Podcast, we talk to pastors, authors, and other faith leaders for helpful advice and practical wisdom to help you and your community of faith walk boldly into the future. Now, here's your host, Lauren Richmond Jr. Welcome to the Future Christian Podcast. This is Lauren Richmond, your host, and today I'm welcoming Jeff Mitchell to the show. Jeff is senior minister at Linden One Christian Church, where his goal is to help people discover a life that does more than leave them exhausted and disillusioned. A native of Kentucky, Jeff grew up on the Mississippi River in Keokuk, Iowa. He spent 13 years in Texas earning a Bachelor of Arts in Religion and a Master of Divinity from Texas Christian University. He is currently working on his dissertation to complete his demon. He has served churches in Fort Worth and Keokuk. He has also started two new congregations in Aledo, Texas and suburban Chicago. Jeff officiates high school football and baseball because he finds it relaxing to be yelled at by parents and coaches. He's on the lifelong journey to find perfect coleslaw and is the last Lyndon Johnson defender left on the earth. As a note to listeners, this episode was recorded live in person at the Conference Hall of the General Assembly of the Christian Church Disciples of Christ, so you'll notice a good bit of background noise through the show. Thanks for listening. All right. Hey, this is a special episode of the Future Christian Podcast. I am here in Louisville. 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 Louisville, Kentucky. This is your host, Lauren Richmond, and I'm here with... Uh, Disciples of Christ, Pastor Extraordinary Jeff Mitchell. We're sitting in the lobby of the, what is this, the Louisville Convention Center? Kentucky? The Kentucky International Convention okay, Center. Okay, there it is. So, um, first of all, Jeff, thanks for your time. Appreciate oh. you being here. Looking forward to having this conversation. I appreciate that. Um, so, listeners, please forgive the ambiance. It's kind of kind of a little dead right now. Um, we're skipping a business session. Skipping a business session. We're actually session. in a Bible study right now, so we're skipping Bible skipping study to Bible kind of study. this. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, let's first start off by tell us, uh, tell our listeners just a little about you, your faith journey, that kind of thing. I have been a disciple since the day I, w- I was, I have a joke, you're not born into the disciples, you're baptized into the disciples, but I was born with parents that were members of the Christian Church Disciples of Christ, mm-hmm. baptized at a young age, right here in Louisville, actually, at okay. Fairview Christian Church when I was in second grade. And my family lineage on my dad's side goes back on in the disciples as far as we can track. And so I'm not saying that we were at Cane Ridge, but we probably had family within spitting distance of that wow. that came over with Daniel Boone and the Transylvania Company, settled mm-hmm. there in central Kentucky. So we have long uh, roots in the disciples. Mm-hmm. But for me, I grew up in Iowa as, a, as you know, of my formative years, came to faith, uh, like faith became my own through church camp, through youth group. Uh, very active in, in my church that I grew up at, First Christian Church in Keokuk, where my dad was was the pastor mm-hmm. for many years. And by the time I was a senior in high school, I had come to grips with what I kind of had known to be true since junior high, which God was calling this, um, calling me to ministry. I stuttered. I have no social skills. I never knew what to do in a crowd, mm-hmm. um, personally and as well as speaking. Yeah. And God's like, you're going to be a minister. And I was like, oh, my yeah. gosh. Yeah. And so I went— I, I got on the path as soon as I could because I knew I had so much to learn. Mm-hmm. Went to college at TCU, was a religion major, barely graduated, barely, was barely accepted. And then I confirmed that by barely graduating <laughs> and then went straight into Bright and, and have, have two degrees from TCU. 
Yeah, awesome. So one fun fact about Jeff is Jeff hosts what the frogcast frog yes Frogcast. i am a tcu football degenerate you know everybody's a fan oh i've got a t-shirt or i watched the playoff game i know the sophomores and the juniors that their defensive back coaches are looking at wow and i care a little too much about that but everybody you know here, here this is my this is my cop out i remember yeah. going to one of those healthy boundary training classes uh-huh. or this or that and they said you should have something you're really passionate about and you're really good about that has that's absolutely not nothing church. to do with men. That's, See, that's not church. My problem. My and whole passion is church. I, I think I get that. Yeah. I, mean, I I used to read like Rick Warren and Herb Miller books in college. Yeah, and you're probably too young to know who Herb Miller was, but he was Herb. He was Rick Warren before Rick Warren. Yeah. Um, and so I, I'm a church dork. I'm a church nerd. But college football is my passion. TCU football. So is my passion. I have to talk a little trash then because being from Colorado, yes, we're all excited about Coach Prime. Who's that? Come on. Oh, Deion Sanders. That's yeah. right. I forgot that. Coach Prime. Yes. Yeah. So share, if you would, just kind of a little bit about um, what's like, I always like to ask guests, what's like a spiritual practice that's meaningful for you you might recommend to others? That is meaningful for me that I would recommend for others. Or you could just be meaningful for you. Okay. Well, let me, this will be kind of targeted. I get that people that listen to this are probably church nerds like yes. us. Yeah. I have... Mm-hmm probably in the last year or so, developed this habit of reading the New Testament continuously mm-hmm. with only one rule that nothing I read or receive can be used in a sermon. Interesting. And so I realized I had a deficiency of time with Scripture uh-huh. because I was like, oh, that'll preach. Or right. oh, there's my next sermon right. series. Or, oh, wait a minute, let me wrestle with this to this issue. Yeah, I want to be a disciple of Jesus that spends time dwelling in the Word that doesn't immediately have a pivot to, oh, oh my gosh, how can I turn this into a five-week series? Or, right. you know, oh, I've got this funny joke that fits in right there, and right. i got the sermons done. Right. And so I just want to be, and I, I don't have the best contemplative practices. I don't feel like that makes me an awful Christian. I just don't acknowledge a deficiency there. Sure. I dwell with God in Scripture. Yeah. And I think this new backstop of this dwelling with God is just for Jeff to be with God and mm-hmm. not for Jeff to be with the Bible to get a sermon. And those are... They can overlap. I, 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 I am nourished through study and reflection to preparate to prepare for a sermon. Mm-hmm. But it's preparing for a sermon. Interesting. So you kind of make that delineation. I know, you know, one of I think the things that I've noticed over my ministry career, and that's for me going all the way back to Bible college twenty years ago, was some context will delineate between scripture for study and then scripture for personal devotion. Mm-hmm. So for me, I've really never found a difference, but it sounds like for you, that's been a helpful delineation. That has been helpful for me because I like I have the attention span of a nad. Yeah. And so if I'm studying a text to to preach, I'm like, well, let's look at every other translation. Let's look mm-hmm. at uh, how does NRSV say this versus the the ESV versus right. the NIV, and I go, oh, oh my gosh, let me go to the, this this list of scholars. It's just the Bible in yeah. the morning. There's nothing else. Yeah. I even read a Bible that has basic on my Kindle. I do it on my Kindle. Uh-huh. And you got a hyperlink to the footnotes. So I can't even look at the footnotes. Uh-huh. It's just me and the text. Interesting. Well, thanks for sharing that. Um, appreciate you sharing that. So I had Jeff on. Uh, Jeff in the Christian Church Disciples of Christ, this convention. I don't know if I said that right for our listeners. This We're at the convention, the General Assembly of the Christian Church Disciples of Christ here in Kentucky. Uh, and Jeff uh, is a veteran Disciples of Christ pastor, started a couple of churches. Uh, Jeff, I know I've heard you on other podcasts mm-hmm. talking about 
church starting efforts in the denomination. Yes. Something that I'm passionate about having started church myself. And a lot of what I talk about on the podcast is uh, new churchy type stuff, mm-hmm. church revitalization. And then I think both of us, we'd probably agree, like we're interested in revitalization within the denomination as a whole. Mm-hmm. So uh, talk maybe just start off with like your kind of experience starting churches. Oh my gosh. So in the fall of 99, we're going Whoa. back 24. I know. I don't appreciate that. In the fall of 99, <laughs> I was halfway through seminary at Bright Divinity School. And Danny Couch, who was the pastor at Central Christian Church in Weatherford, which was 15, 20 miles west of Fort Worth, okay. called me at the little church I was serving as a student pastor in the worst named city in the world, White Settlement, Texas. Oh, my God. In this Bethany Christian Church, they're lovely people. Right. And I think they were the first integrated church in White Settlement. So they're, mm-hmm. they're lovely people. Uh, I was serving there preaching and having a good time. And Danny called and said, I want to start a new church in Alito, which was 20, 15 miles out. Okay. He said, I've been collecting um, people that are interested in starting a disciples church. And he says, they, you know, they can't, you know, go hire a full-time minister. Mm-hmm. But I think if you came here and worked with them, they could be your your graduation and their viability could could overlap. Yeah, yeah. and I came there and, and we did. Right, and so I was young. I, I was so I think I was twenty four when I started this church. I I had nothing but my ignorance and my passion. Yeah, both of which were probably needed. Right, I did so many things wrong. I right. was um, not a differentiated leader, not a non anxious presence. Love me some family systems. Yes, yeah. and I but I loved Jesus and right. I wanted to preach. And I wanted to see new people come to faith. Right. I wanted to see new people come to faith. I know we don't talk about that enough. We don't. We don't I talk don't about believe. that enough. I, and I wanted to see people baptized. Yeah. I want to become see people followers baptized, of Jesus. become followers of Jesus, become apprentices of his way, yeah. which is you're initiated into a relationship right. with Christ, initiated right. into the way of the cross. Yeah. And I wanted to see that happen. Yeah. I had no clue how to do it. Right. But that was my dream. And so we got up off the ground. That was there seven, seven or eight years. Mm-hmm. Uh, enjoyed it. It was difficult. I don't want to say I burned out, but I, I didn't have anything much left to give. Yeah. Um, you spent a lot of gas in the tank. I spent a lot of gas in the tank. I also here's some things I learned that I I, I think almost all these people have passed now, so I can say it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the worst possible way to start a church. Oh, we had ten people uh-huh. that were all disciples that wanted to start a disciples church. Yes. And so all we were doing was trying to multiply our terrible yes. DNA. Yes. Sort of, sort of like what was shared last night, I think, in the yes, message. Yes, right? I think that's accurate. That same language. Yes. Yes. For, and so, uh, for listeners, check out. We had out a board before. Dr. Yolanda Norton. Mm-hmm. But anyway, continue. Yeah, we had a board and governance structure before we had any theological justification for our existence. <laughs> <laughs> we had great financial um, procedures, which yeah, is great. Great, um, great. We had no clue what what to do when someone came in and said, "I'd like to know God in a deeper way." Yes, and that, oh man, yeah. But, but there's a beauty in that. That we're all we're all stupid. I mean, right. God only calls right. foolish people to do these things. Amen. And so it it was a fast growing suburb. Um, it was honestly. I, we were the most liberal church in town, and nobody in our church called themselves liberal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like they were all old yellow dog right. conservative Democrats. Or right. George, I mean, this was the time of George W. Bush's presidency. Yeah. They were, you know, they were they were Bushites, which in Texas at that time mm-hmm. now would make you liberal. But back then it was like really conservative. <laughs> and we were the open hearted church. We were right. judgmental. Um, and that was that was kind of part of our uh, branding, for lack of a better term, mm-hmm. which has some real positives and also has. 
can, can cut, cut, your, cut your legs out from underneath you as well. Like, yeah. why do we even exist? Yeah, right. You know, we're ex- we exist for us to be able to do anything. Well, then, well, then what, well why do I need you? Yeah. Right, right. Well, so, yeah, I started church there. Ended up going back to my home church in Iowa, which is a whole other story, and had this dramatic experience of growth. Took a established church of about 300 people. Mm-hmm. When I left, we were about 900 in worship every week. And I was just talking about this at lunch. I had this terrible combination of ambition and faithfulness. Yeah. And they, those, yeah. those, you know, they say don't cross the streams in Ghostbusters. Mm-hmm. I think those streams uh, had, may have crossed there. And I left all of that to move to Chicago hmm. to start a new church from scratch in a city where I knew no one. Yeah. And this is, I can, can we confess sin on here? Is that all sure. right? Sure. I mean, that's Nadia Bolt Weber's podcast, but sure, you can okay. do it here. I was talking at the time when I was discerning that call to one of my dear mentors and friends. He, he hates when I call him my mentor. He says we're peers, but yeah. he's my mentor. David Emery, Harvard Avenue Christian yeah, Church. Yeah, trying to get David on the pod. In Tulsa. Tell him, to, tell him we need to work on something. I will. He, he, he has half the attention span that I do. Yeah, I believe it. And I love I've him. talked to him a little bit, and I, I, bet, I got that. Yeah, he's sense. always on 1.8 speed. Yes, yes, yes. So I'm talking to David, and I'm like, David. We're in this town of 10,000, mm-hmm. and I've grown this church from 300 to 900. We had over 1,500 people on Easter. Imagine what we can do if we go to this big, booming suburb in right, Chicago. Right. And he's like, Jeff, you are so wrong. <laughs> he's like, you did not grow that church. Yeah. God grew that church. Holy Spirit. And you preach Jesus, and that's what, yeah. you know, I think, I love that text. If you lift me up, I will draw everyone to myself. Right, right. That's not just like lift high the cross on the top of the steeple, but right. announce the gospel. Right. I, 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 I'm enough of a Calvinist. The gospel is irresistible. I believe that. Look at you. Okay. I believe we'll save that. that. We'll save that for I'm later. I'm not a Calvinist. Okay. But I do enough. believe fair in enough. total depravity, and I do believe that grace is irresistible. Okay. But okay. I don't. This is not a theology podcast. No. We'll save okay, that for good. later. Well, I'm definitely not a theologian. Just go ask my GPA. Yeah. Um, <laughs> moved to Chicago and started Big Life Community Church in Oswego, Illinois. Mm-hmm. And we were a disciples church that did not put disciples in the name, right. did not put a chalice Maybe we out. should talk about that more. Oh, my gosh. Did I get... You can cuss on this podcast. I don't, I, I don't want to cuss. I caught a lot of flag. Yeah. Um, and looking back on it, I think maybe they were right. I don't know. Hmm. Okay. I don't know. Yeah. Um, I think if I were to say they were right, it was that I had, I was really stuck on the idea that if we just did these five things that amounted to technical change yeah brand your name better right have you know we're got better coffee, messaging better messaging better coffee better brand better music better music we're you know you, you can wear shorts to church mm-hmm. that's the problem with the right. world right now right um the, um and i bought in on all of that yeah and in spite of that the holy spirit worked right we probably baptized about a hundred people in eight years wow at that church yeah Mo- probably 80% of them adults. Yeah. And and what what I do give gratitude to God for is, in a sense, that was our mission. Mm-hmm. We were like, we, exi- we had three values that we said every week in church. Right. Number one was, we exist to share Jesus with people that don't go to church. Right. Every single person in our church could recite that. It might as well have been our, our creed. We exist to share Jesus with people that don't go to church. Your overarching narrative. Yeah. 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 We, we welcome everyone. Right. And we believe that God deserves better. Hmm. And so you had evangelism, discipleship, and welcome all blending yeah. together. There. Yeah. And uh, ended up leaving there and accepting a call from starting a new church that met in a VFW, no, in a Knights of Columbus hall that we bought that smelled like guilt and cigarettes uh-huh. and, yeah. re- and remodeled that and accepted a call to a 175 year old church in the heart of the Deep South. Wow. At Lindenwood Christian Church in Memphis. 
Wow. That's where I am today. That's quite a that's quite a lot there. So I uh, know I got to catch my breath. Let's maybe let's maybe go at it from this way. Like, there's not a lot happening. Uh, maybe I'll say it this way: I don't see a lot happening uh, nationally with Church Star in our denomination. I think we would both agree, at least from what I've heard from you. Otherwise, that starting new churches is essential for growth, bringing in new disciples. I don't mean disciples of Christ. I mean disciples of Jesus. Jesus yes. Um, and disciples of Christ. I'm cool and with that too. Yeah, I'm cool with Sure, that. as long as they're disciples of Jesus first, first and foremost. Yes. Um, yes. So like what, I guess maybe there's two, I guess there's really two ways to go about this. We can talk practically, but I'm curious more mm-hmm. philosophically from you. Like what do you think, like if you were, I often ask this question. Yeah. You know, to to listeners or excuse me, to guests at the end, like if you were Pope for a day, what would if you want to do? For a day. So if you were like, if you were GMP for listeners, general minister and president of the denomination for a day or for a week, and you mm-hmm. wanted to like, let's say, focus on church planning, what are like three initiatives you'd be like, let's do this? Oh man. Well, let me start with this. Yeah. You, we have a common friend, Dennis Sanders. Right. I've told them, him this numerous times. When he is expressing his angst about our denomination, right. which he and I share. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think it's the job of the denomination to do jack squat on starting new churches. Okay. If okay. I were Pope for, if I was GMP, if I was all powerful for it, which sure. the GMP is not. Yeah. Um, that's true. That's true. I would get in one room the pastors of our 50 most dynamic churches. Yeah. And said, look, I need all of you to start a new church. Yeah. And my job would be to be a spiritual, encourager and a bully yeah to get them to multiply right because they it would be in a way that it would be an outgrowth of their existing faith habits in a location that is within right dr- that they have a partnership so, because what like i multi-site don't say mul- it could be multi-site, multi-site could be like churches a, started churches right. um, taking it, 50 all, 100 20 200 people yeah, going to it all church. has the same right so it's an outgrowth of what's already strong right let me tell you what I would not do. Yeah. I, I would it. not take, I would not go hit up a donor for $50 million okay. and get 50 new churches, a million bucks to start a new church somewhere where we don't have disciples. Okay. That is terrible. Okay. Talk, let's talk I through that. Believe, I do not believe, I have parachute. They call it, we used to call right, it parachute. parachute. Right. We're going to drop, which let's think about that metaphor for right. a second. We're going to push you out of the airplane. Mm-hmm. And if you can't be self-sustaining, you're going to hit the ground and die. And I can speak to testimony that. Yes. Is that not a terrible metaphor? Having experienced that, yes. <laughs> yes. And so what I would not do is um, camp out on this myth that you need to go to a place you've never been. Mm-hmm. The clock is running right. on your funding. Right. And when your clock is running on your funding, you begin to make compromises. Right. Because let me jump in here. Uh, one of the, in my no, this is my podcast. You can't talk. Jeff, jeez. In my experience, that was one of the struggles that I was aware of immediately was that um, the metric that I was held accountable to was really financial sustainability. Mm-hmm. And my uh, lady, my non-clergy leaders would say, "Hey, what about this? What about this?" And I'd be like, "That's great, but what?" The powers that be yes. want to know is, are you financially sustainable? Yes. That's what they want to know. Yeah. And that's not a terrible question. Sure. 
And as one of the token flaming capitalists left in our denomination, I do believe okay. that we need to fund our mission. Sure. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I believe in stewardship with all of my right, heart. Right, right. Um, but churches starting churches is yeah. more biblical yeah. than and, – and, and, and I think it's healthier. It's well, much healthier because once you start one, you're much more likely to start a second. And, just, and I say all of this knowing yeah. that I now serve one of the churches that would be in that room. Mm. And I am beginning to plant well, seeds of that conversation. Just, uh, I talked about in the point. Let me bring this practically speaking, because one of the things that I noticed, like, again, as a kind of a parachute drop in, mm -hmm. like when I'm like, oh, I need a stapler. Like little little mm -hmm. stupid stuff like, oh, I need yeah. a stapler. I need somewhere to print. Yeah. I need an office. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, those yeah. kind of little things that you don't think about mm -hmm. starting a church. Like an existing church would have all that infrastructure yeah. in place. And they would also have healthy DNA in place. Right. They would also be like, all right, we know how to do worship. Right. They, you, it, would, it would be an expansion of what is already vital mm -hmm. and healthy. But having le spent time leaning on pastors of larger churches in the past, mm -hmm. there is still a theology sure, of right, scarcity right. with a church with a $1.5 million budget. Well, and especially I imagine it's, it's like, well, I want to keep my big crowd. I think that's part of it. I think I, I, my hunch is it'd be more resources. Okay. And they'd say, okay. I can't lose these 10 people. That, yeah, that's fair. You know, that's fair. So um, let's go about it this way too. Like, what do you see that's happening in our kind of movement that you're a fan of? You kind of talk about what you're not a fan of. What yeah. What are you a fan of? Well, let me go back to what they originally called the the decam called the 2020 vision. Right. Okay. That one of them, one of the pillars was that we would be a church that started a thousand new churches by 2020, mm -hmm. and we did it. Okay. We started a thousand. Now we don't have one thousand more churches. Not right. every church made it. Right. Uh, the church I started in Texas is no longer church open. Church I is no longer exactly. open. Exactly. But. I don't care about that. Yeah. I mean, like, I care about putting 400000 through the paper shredder. Right. You know, we can be good. I'm not, I, I pulled that out of my head. <laughs> but I don't care that they didn't work because I want to serve, a, we serve a God that allows for right. us to not do everything right. Right. And I would rather honor that faith and that risk in a wise way than be so timid and say, oh, the last time we tried it didn't work, let's yeah. never do it again. Yeah. So what I, what I, what I'm excited about within those thousand new churches that we started I, I used to have the numbers off my head, but at my age, at 48, I'm forgetting. I know over 50% of them were non-white. Mm -hmm. I think it might have been 75. Wow. A vast majority of mm -hmm. them. And so this is where God's humor is um, in intact and on display. I was in the room when they started talking about we should start 1,000 churches by 2020. Mm-hmm. It was looked at as this is going to save the disciples. Right. We're going to get more suburban churches. We're right. going to get more healthy. Right. Um, we look at churches like Creekwood and North Dallas and Geist that were started in the previous, you know, in, uh -huh. um, vision of starting. Those okay. are great churches. Yeah. We need more churches like that. But when you start ch immigrant churches that meet in a community room in an apartment complex and right. still have 150 people. Uh, they're not going to come to the General Assembly and spend $1,800 out of their own pocket to, right. to sit out in the hallway like you and I are yeah, right now. Yeah, here. And it doesn't – it was not fuel into the existing understanding of what it meant to be a discipleship minister. Yeah. It, yeah, it was not – it did not fuel the institution. Yeah. Now, what I do know is it fueled mission in yeah. ministry, and our church on paper – is much more diverse than it is than it yeah. was twenty years ago. Yeah, it is not more diverse than it in that room yeah. that I'm pointing at yeah. across the hall. Pod, yeah. Podcasting is not podcast a visual medium. Yeah. It's not a visual medium. 
And so I, I'm excited about hundreds and hundreds of ch- new churches that most people don't know about that are non-white, that are reaching people that we were not able to reach before. Mm-hmm. And I don't know where how God will use all that in the future, but the joke I always was told by Hispanic pastors when I lived in Texas is mm-hmm. we start an immigrant church where everybody speaks Spanish. Mm-hmm. Their children speak Spanish and English. Right. And then the grandchildren, they only speak English. Right. And how does God utilize all of that to continue to grow our witness as disciples? I don't know. Yeah. But I'm grateful that the faith was passed on mm-hmm. that way. Now, something, when we were talking about setting this interview up, we were talking a little bit, and you mentioned, because again, I'm also a church nerd, um, and you mentioned two churches in town, is it, that were Baptist churches Yes, that Alexander Campbell, for the real church nerds here, yeah. brought into this I've movement. done a little more research. Okay, go. Philip Slater Fall brought First Bapt- first Christian into Okay. First Christian, I believe. Okay. That's what I was able to— But Phil, go Phil, with that, go with that and, story. And Alexander Campbell, I don't know if it was Alexander Campbell, but Beargrass Christian Church used to be Beargrass Baptist Church. Okay, in Louisville. In, in Louisville. And these are two healthy, vital churches. Mm-hmm. And that was actually common in this area okay. where a, a Campbellite evangelist would come in mm-hmm. and basically hijack a Baptist yeah. church and say, hey, we got it right <laughs> over here. <clears throat> and a lot of the seeds of disciples' growth were churches that left the Baptist Association to become Campbellites, take on Christian, and then they became the incubation center for missionaries head, head and west mm-hmm. from here. And so, when we, when I, I, when I was at this sitting around the table of the new, we used to call it the new church leadership team, mm-hmm. and we'd have so many um, Hispanic churches that wanted, that were independent, that wanted to right, affiliate. Right, they're like, we love disciples, we yeah. love their, th- we want to be in your church, mm-hmm. and there was. Uh, so can we speak freely on here sure yeah there was so much white liberal elitist pushback yeah on these people are not really disciples right. they don't worship the way i mean they as, don't use inclusive language as someone How who, can they even love jesus as someone who joined into the disciples i again if you're disciples and you're listening i don't ever want to hear what generation disciple you are yes I don't want to hear that no ever I but continue. jesus doesn't care yeah yeah and so i think the great irony is the voices that were loudest for racial inclusion, mm-hmm. of which I want to be in my, aligned with, mm-hmm. were often those that were the most suspicious slash curious mm. of who are all these new churches that are coming mm-hmm. in. They're just a Pentecostals affiliating with right. the disciples right. so we can give them a tax, you know, ID number or right. whatever. Yeah. And the I used Rick Morris, who's retired now, that ran New Church right. for, forever, he said that there he there was someone that had written an article about basically their suspicion of, oh. and he said he never stopped hearing about that. Every time he'd go out and meet with a regional new church committee, well, mm-hmm. I've heard they're not even real disciples. Yeah. And I, I would argue that that is racist. Yeah. Yeah. So um, what was I going to ask you? Like, what do you think is like some, oh, oh this was going to ask you. Let's talk about a little bit about the economics around church planning. Yes, good call. Uh, you've talked a little bit about the kind of the parachute model Mm-hmm. Um, some of the challenges that is you really need someone who can get funded. Yep. Cause if, if you're a, a, a church leader, you're a pastor and you or your family and your family is getting dropped into a location, yeah. you know, you might not necessarily have the income immediately yourself mm-hmm. to, to sustain your family or yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, so obviously it's something that I'm 
well aware of because this was an a, a challenge for me. Uh, but one of my learnings, I think, was at least in my context, like you really have to be bivocational some way. Yes. Um, I mean, what are your thoughts around? Uh, oh, and I should add too, like, uh, for, I guess part of my privilege, right, is like because of my my race and gender, probably I'm was more likely to get funding than like mm-hmm. you mentioned, like yeah. a like an immigrant, yeah, uh, pastor. Mm-hmm. Um, so talk through maybe some of those challenges. Well, when I moved to start the church in Chicago, we were funded in a heavy way from the Christian Church of Illinois and Wisconsin, of which to this day I have deep gratitude for. They were amazing. Yeah. Scott Woolridge, uh, Teresa DeWilliam Parker, mm-hmm. regional staff, Crystal Williams, all amazing people, mm-hmm. all who believed in what we were doing. Mm-hmm. Even as they made a massive financial investment into right. this project, um, two years later I realized it needed to be three times as it's much. Not enough. And, right. and they did right. serious work. Yeah, I mean, I'd say and the they same did thing. Serious funding. Same thing. As much as anything they'd right. ever done. Yeah. Of which I'm to this right. day grateful right. for. And so when I think about the economics of it, it comes back, it comes to two things. One is what I said earlier strong church starts strong church. Yeah. And yeah. That, that we should be leaning on our large mm-hmm. church pastors to do that. The last half of my time in Chicago, I was bivocational. I just didn't even realize it. Uh, we had, yeah. we had yeah. a, rough summer one year right and i started officiating high school sports yeah which i love I, I, I did that i, I started umpiring in seventh grade because okay. i couldn't hit a baseball yeah and so i started i, I t- put t- put my toe in the water doing football mm-hmm. got i'm kind of like forrest gump sometimes i just bump into the oddest people i bumped into the guy that basically runs the officiating union it's not a union but it's it's more right. mobbed up than yeah. a union and i got to know trust tom me Hug- i officiate high school yeah. sports so i can vouch so for that. this is chicago yeah so i got to know tom hug and tom hug got me on the i was making a more or a housing payment and what? car payment off of officiating yeah and yeah. that 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 paid some but there were months that we I, I didn't necessarily need to do it but i was right and i'd go out there on a saturday and do four baseball games yeah in the heat and this, these are like travel tournaments for right. jackass dads. Yeah. And you're getting yelled at for like. So that part is not fun. That part is not fun. But I'll tell you what, I loved officiating in high school. I, I, I did all the JV football so I could do Friday night. Right. Friday night was a blast. Right. Freshman JV game where it's 58 to nothing at halftime. Mm-hmm. Not good. Yeah. Um, so I was bivocational. So my, my part of my encouragement to anyone starting a new church is find a way that you can have the freedom and the courage to start the church yeah. as you feel God is calling you yeah. to that is not dependent. Your entire economic well-being is not dependent yeah. on it. Um, I assume you're familiar with Tom Rainer. Yes. Yeah. And I know for our listeners, he's Southern Baptist. Uh, so you're welcome to disregard this next 30 seconds if you feel they feel that strongly about it. But one of the things he has said when I've listened to him, and I think it's very prudent, is it's much easier to start by vocational and then go full yeah. time yeah. than the reverse. Yeah, it's always seemed like, it always gets, it feels like a defeat. Right. Because mm-hmm. I know that was one of the challenges that I was wrestling with is, well, can I move to bivocational? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and frankly, living in the Denver metro, Oh off what I was, gosh. off what I was making, quote unquote, full time, but essentially, I was essentially mm-hmm. being Part, paid part time. Yeah, working full time. But that's another conversation. Yeah. Can I make a joke about Denver? Sure. Years ago, I'd interviewed with a very healthy large church in Denver, mm-hmm. and they told me what I was, what 
we were pretty deep. They're like, we right. need to know this is our salary yeah. ranges. Right. And it's, you know, it's not hard numbers. Right. And I was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe somebody's going to pay me. And then I looked at how much houses cost. Yeah. But I was like, it's almost twice what I'm making now. And it's basically a pay cut. Right. Right. $650,000 for a house smaller than the one I was yeah. living in at the time. Yeah. And this was pre-COVID. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, I guess that's just, you know, reality of, um, yeah, I mean, what else, what else do you think? <laughs> I am a, I'm a polyamorous when it comes to ecclesiology. Okay. So, so you're not like disciple church has to be organized no, this way. No, I, I, I love house churches. Yeah. I love missional churches. I yeah. love attractional churches. I yeah. love mega churches. Yeah. I love any expression. Right. You just have to accept they're not all funded the same way. Okay. And they don't let's, all have the let's same talk expectations. About that. What, what then, because again, that gets kind of into the questions of, mm-hmm. you know, who gets what funding, if, yeah. if there is funding available, who gets what? Well, I love operating on the assumption there is no funding. Okay. Let's just, let's just start with that. Okay. Yeah. There is no funding. Yeah. And if there is no funding and you want to start a larger, you know, you want to start a, a church that has 200 people in it. Like in a more traditional years. Sunday morning. Sunday morning experience. experience. You got a band, you got a screen, right. you got Bible studies throughout the week in right. homes. Get a, get a larger church behind you yeah. to multiply. Yeah. That is the direction yeah. to go on that front. David Fitch teaches at Northern Seminary mm-hmm. in Chicago. Okay. Brilliant ecclesiologist. He's a great guy. You should follow him if you don't. Okay. He he t- he has all kinds of contrarian thoughts on church, church planting. Uh huh. He says if you want to start a church in Chicago today, you should be a plumber. Yeah. He said you got healthcare. Yeah. You can work thirty hours a week, and then he this is what he said that I loved. He goes, and then you have just enough time left to only do what matters. Right. Isn't that brilliant? That is smart. Because my gosh, when I've, I've been in this spot where you're out there and you got like. 60 people come into your church on Sunday. Right. And they're not like dying for a pastoral no. care call. Especially they're, especially yeah. younger de- yeah. demographics. You you can just focus on discipling people. Right. You can just focus on growing people. You can focus on building relationships. Right. And um, I, I, I love Fitch's model. And so yeah. I was starting a house church, a dinner church, missional church. Mm-hmm. And you wanted to have, you know, adequate time to do the work God has called you to do, as well as some sense of economic security. Right. Get a trade. Yeah. Don't be a nurse. Don't be a teacher. Yeah. Get a trade. And get mean, into a good union. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, frankly, you know, like the job that I have now, I'm working for public housing. Okay. Um, it's very much a nine to five job. Mm-hmm. It has good benefits. Um, the I'm like, the only negative about my job is that it's pretty much, it's pretty like, compassion oriented yeah so like i find myself in the day like especially especially as as an introvert not having a ton of compassion energy um but you know i think those kind of jobs are very much nine to five jobs or you set three hours a week Mm -hmm. um can be the can be the direction forward um so when you worked at public housing in denver is that for all the people that make less than four hundred thousand dollars they have to find a place to live my brother-in-law sadly i wish like can i get an apartment here my my brother-in-law my sister's husband he's the only one of all the four siblings and spouses that doesn't have a college degree Mm -hmm. and he is a union plumber who do you think makes the most yeah He, he runs laps around all of us wow so i mean how much we we could spend another forty five minutes we could talking spend about another this? Another forty five minutes. Um, I'm oh, just looking at our time. I want to tell you something when you're ready. Okay. Well, one quick thing I do want to say is 
like, do we need to can reconsider when we're thinking about salary reals realities? Do we need to stop demanding people go to seminary to lead a church? Because would we better serve finding someone from church camp who's passionate about Jesus? Say, go get a trade, give them some certification classes, maybe at our theological schools, and then commission them is our word. Commission them to go start a church. Just like I believe in a variety of ways to be church, I believe there's there's the pathways of ministry have to change. We We need wider pathways, you're saying. We need more. My favorite story to tell about this is you go to, before everybody had self-checkout, I used to go to Walmart on a Saturday morning, Uh and there's like 40 of us in line and one lane open. What do they need to do? They got to open more lanes. We need more lanes mm-hmm. for people to accept a call into ministry. Right. We need more lanes for uh, people to start new churches. Yeah. And I think those two things are going to go to the more lanes we have for ministry. Yeah. The more ways that people can start new churches. Yeah. So I'm, I am as entrenched in the disciples theological system as possible. Mm-hmm. You know, I went, I went a religion degree from TCU and a master's yeah, of divinity from For Bright. our listeners who are not familiar, like he's as about disciple as you can get. Maybe if you went to like Barton College and then. Yeah. I don't know. Well, um, I'll put it this way. Yeah. The first one is not hyperbole. The second one is. Yeah. TCU religion department. I got a much better theological education as an undergrad in the religion department at TCU than anybody will get at any divinity school. Wow. Okay. I learned more in that. I slept half the time through seminary because yeah. it was like, oh, I learned all this. Yeah. And I learned all this. Yeah. And TCU and Bright's a great seminary because yeah. I went there. Right. Of course <laughs> it is. Of course. Okay. You were going to say something. Oh, uh, we. Let me make sure. Hold on. I'm going to do what they always do, tell mm-hmm. you not to do. I'm going to try to find a quote. Okay. I'm going to try to let's, find a quote, and I want to make sure I get it right. Let's keep filling some time here let's while you're finding the quote. Let's keep filling some time. Yes. You you keep filling time there. Well, uh, you know, I'll, I'll share the story while you're looking. Yes. Uh, I served at UCC Church, my first kind of lead solo pastor gig at a seminary. And there was a young man who was 18 who— was a, a good guy and mm-hmm. his mom was like, oh, he's interested in, he could be interested in this. But I knew he was not college material. I mean, no disrespect to him. He was not seminary material. Like that was, he didn't have the academic prowess. Yeah. And I was disappointed. I, was, like, I got in on what was disciples affirmative action. Okay. In the, in the pejorative. <laughs> yeah. In the pejorative. But like the, I was like, there's, I believe in there's no, there's no path for ministry. Like when I was going to Baptist. Yeah. Like, there was, and I shouldn't say there's no, because there exists somewhere in the mainline world, apprentice models for ministry. Yeah. But it's not enough, I don't think. No. Tom First, he's the pastor of First United Methodist in Memphis. Okay. He's a church, he also had been a church planner. Mm-hmm. His quote, the problem with mainline Protestantism is not our progressive ethics. It's that we're boring and we're bored with Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. We don't need any more boring churches. No. And if you're bored with Jesus and you do not believe that his life, death, and resurrection is the most pivotal event in all of human history, do not plan a church. Appreciate Because you can only plan a church by the power of the resurrection. Yeah. And if you, if, uh, if we are not dependent on a power larger than ourselves mm, mm-hmm. to see life, people, I, I can't change anybody's lives. Yeah. Only the gospel changes yeah. people's lives. Yeah. I can't plan a church. No. Only the gospel plans yeah. a church. If you if you are not transformed and want to share that experience of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, please do not plant a church. I would tell you don't even go to seminary. Yeah. I would tell you don't go serve an well, established church. David, and, David, Jeff is going to get us in trouble, but yeah, 100% agree. 
we I like Alan Hirsch. Do yeah. you, you you've ever read Alan Hirsch? I don't I don't think I have. He's got a book called Forgotten Ways. I need to read it. Yeah, I do. Um, he has this uh, phrase I love that was Christology shapes missiology, yeah. which shapes ecclesiology. Yeah, and if you don't begin with Christology, then yeah. we get it backwards, which is here is my understanding of what a church does. And why it exists right. and is often a self-serving interest. Man, do and we have another forty-five that, minutes? We here. go, we find some mission, right, that we can feel good about. And then the last part is we have a little scrap of Jesus down yeah. here at the yeah. end. So, so if I'm hearing you right, because I think this is a, a this is a trend right now mm-hmm. in mainline circles is let's go let's go start an NGO. Yes, let's go start a nonprofit. God bless them. God bless them. If God has asked you to do that, sure. That is fine. But maybe right. I have too narrow of an ecclesiology. Those things can be outgrowths sure. of the mission of the yeah. church. But in, if it's an outgrowth of the mission of the church, then it's an outgrowth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. Yeah. And yeah. If, you don't want, if you don't have a passion to see people baptized and renewed by the power of the gospel, mm-hmm. do not start a church because you're going to, there's a high likelihood you're going to burn out even if you believe in the power of the gospel. Amen. Do not go start a new yeah. church. Yeah. And social social services are essential, yeah, to governmental and communal well being. Right, it is not the church. Yeah, okay, well, we covered some ground here. Let's take a quick break. Yes, let's do that. All right, we're back with Jeff Mitchell. Jeff, thanks so much for your time oh, here. Yeah, I'm glad to be. Really here. appreciate the conversation. So we're gonna. I do this lighting around all the time with people. Let's do it. Um, and I don't have the notes right in front of me, so we're just winging this and. Uh, I just realized, like, this is a terrible spot. We're right across from the bathroom. Right across from the bathrooms. The... Like, yeah. I've had this nice little booth that we picked out, <laughs> mm-hmm. and I thought it'd be great. And then, like... It's a metaphor. Our church is going down the drain. It's a metaphor. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my goodness. Bless your uh, heart. Hopefully my... Yeah. Um, anyway, okay. So, I'm going off the top of my head here. Mm-hmm. I asked you this question. Let me ask you it again. If you're Pope for a day... Yes. You can take these questions seriously or not as you like to. Okay. What do you want to do with that day? Pope for a day. If I'm Pope for the day... Yeah. I want to gather the church for one purpose, and it was to be to pray okay. that God would do something in our churches that can only happen if God makes it happen. Man, that's good. That we would have zero strategizing, to-do lists, uh-huh. whiteboard imaginations, Yeah, that we would just beg the Holy Spirit to move in fresh and powerful ways. That's good. Um, I'm trying to remember these off the head of my head. Um if you could bring anybody back to life from the, you know, Christian theological tradition. Oh, wow. Who do you want to either meet or bring back to life? I'd really like to meet Walter Scott. Okay. Everybody talked about, or people say that he clearly had some mental health issues, uh-huh. that he was clearly, uh, that, that, that he could have possibly been bipolar. Oh. And that he had this bad habit of just giving all of his money away, like Alexander Campbell would give him money, and then he'd just go find you know, this poor community and hand it to them. <laughs> oh. So I I love people that are just a little off center. And he was, you know, a renowned evangelist. Mm-hmm. And I lo- I lo- I'd love to meet Walter Scott. I'd love to follow and okay. be discipled and mentored by Walter Scott. Interesting. That's good. That's good. Um, what do you think history will remember from our current time and place? Hmm, man. I know I usually give these questions in advance, no, so I'm no. making you work here. We have amazing values that our world needs mm-hmm. and we have possibly some of the worst delivery of them yeah you're talking about the denomination, the denomination. yeah oh, i thought that's what you're asking yeah yeah no that's fine yeah i mean we are i i also think situated here contextually I think 40 years from now people are going to look back at this time 
the way that I look back at the 60s, oh. which I didn't, uh, the late 60s. Yeah. You know, but the Vietnam War and the yeah. assassination of, of Martin Luther King and, and, and Bobby Kennedy. Or, yeah. 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 Senior. I just want to go on the record about <laughs> senior. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, just, you know, of, of, in a, of civil rights movement, of civil mm-hmm. rights legislation, of just how people, I look back at that as like one of the, it had to be one of the most turbulent times. Yeah. Yeah. And then I think people are going to look back at us mm-hmm. having gone through. Um, the election of 16 and 20, yeah. uh, the the pandemic, yeah. the murder of George Floyd, yeah. um, the attack on the Capitol, yeah. January 6th, yeah. and whatever this next election is going right. to look like, right. and say like, wow, how did they get through that? Yeah, And I want, I guess, looking back, I want the question to be not how did I change the world, but how was I faithful with what I was entrusted with? Mm, that's good. That's good. Um, pull up some notes here. What do you hope... Uh, I don't know, maybe let's just contextualize this here, mm-hmm. Jeff. Yes. Again, we're sitting here at the General Assembly of, of the Christian the Church. Church. Christ. What do you hope for the future of this denomination? I hope that we let some things die, and I hope that we don't let them die because we think we can build something better. Hmm. There are some things that just come Need to an to die. end. Yeah. Church camp is 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 dying. Yeah. Church camp is on hospice. Right. There are friends that I'm eating and sharing a drink with at this assembly that are on the list of the three to four most important people in my life. Mm-hmm. And, and I met him at church camp. Yeah. There are people that were some of the most formative members of my, uh, the formative people of my soul mm-hmm. that led me through church camp. Yeah. You, I mean, from and, the beginning, you talked about yeah, church camp. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's it, not. It's over. Yeah. Yeah. It's over. Yeah. That doesn't mean close it today. Right. But at this moment, we are managing the decline towards hospice, towards right. death. And I also hope that we don't just stick all this religious language on things that are dying and say like, well, it's dying, but we're going to see what God brings up next. Yeah. Maybe we just, you yeah. know, I, the part of I love about the creed, crucified, dead, and buried. Yeah. Like they went out of their way to make sure, you know, yeah. Jesus died. Yeah. And on Saturday, nobody's sitting around saying, all right, here we go. Tomorrow is the big day. Yeah. I think you have to let it die and grieve before there's room for resurrection. Yeah. And there's a lot of our church that I love and have served and benefited from that is dying. Hmm. And if we don't give the space to say that and and cry, yeah, then we don't have room for resurrection. Right. I was I was talking to my therapist about that the mm-hmm. other day. Just like freaking church camp is yeah. was the most important thing of my yeah. of my teenage years. Yeah. And it's over. Yeah. And it's nobody's fault. Right. It's nobody's fault. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of it's kind of like the way that I feel about full-time vocational ministry. Yes. Like, I mean, like you, Jeff, I went a different route because I came from a different tradition. Mm-hmm. But I went to Bible college yeah. four years to commit myself to ministry. Yep. I deconstructed before deconstructing was cool. Yeah. I was introduced to disciples, committed myself to seminary. And then I get a seminary and like, oh, shit, it's really hard to find a job that supports my family. It is. And in the last six months, I recently made a decision like full-time vocational ministry is, and I found myself very much grieving that like my sole identity, and I shouldn't say my sole identity, but one of my big identities is I can say like, I'm a pastor. Yes. Now I have to say I'm a social worker slash pastor slash podcaster. Yeah. Um, and I've noticed like grieving that. Mm-hmm. So 
I think it is important yep. to do that. Well, um, Jeff, appreciate your time today. Oh, yeah. Um, where can folks connect with you? Where's the fraudcast right, for the fraud? <laughs> plug go, the fraudcast. You go on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, yeah. wherever your podcasting yeah. app. Go to the Frogcast, and you can follow me all through college football season, from uh, National Signing Day to the National Championship, as okay. they say it on on the Cover Three podcast. Yeah, and we do all things TCU. It is for degenerates like me. Okay. And where is your church ministry at? Lindenwood Christian Church in Memphis, Tennessee. Okay. We just celebrated our 180th anniversary. Wow. You can find us online at lindenwoodcc.org. To the listeners that are part of the Christian Church Disciples of Christ, our 2025 assembly will be in Memphis. Yeah. And uh, here's my little uh, disciples trivia. Yeah. You can come and take a tour of one of the most visited destination sites for tourists in the world, hmm. which is Graceland which was built by a member of Lindenwood Christian Church and sold to this young and up-and-coming artist, oh Elvis my Aaron Presley. Wow. I met Grace, for whom Graceland was named after. Wow. That's some good trivia right there. Okay, well, this is a great conversation. Appreciate your time. I always leave folks with a word of peace. Yes. May God's peace be with you. May the peace of the Lord be with you always. Amen. Amen. Thanks for joining us on the Future Christian Podcast. To learn more about Lauren or the podcast, visit future-christian.com. One more thing before you go, do us a favor and subscribe to the podcast. And if you're feeling especially generous, leave a review. It really helps us get the word out to more people about the podcast. The Future Christian Podcast is a production of Torn Curtain Arts and Resonate Media. Our episodes were mixed by Danny Burton, and the production support is provided by Paul Romig-Levitt. Thanks, and go in peace.